Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, as we wrap up our story time with Jesus series, Pastor Kenny teaches from Luke 14, verses 15 through 24, about the surpassing value of saying yes to Jesus in all things. We're going to be digging into another story time with Jesus. And as you guys are turning to Luke chapter 14, um, let me just ask an opening question, and it's this. Uh, What was the most impactful conversation that you've ever had at a dinner party? What was the most impactful conversation that you've ever had at a dinner party? And in, in case... You're racking your brains and you, you can't think of one. The reason I bring that up is because that's exactly what we're diving into today. Uh, Jesus is at a dinner party with Pharisees on a Sabbath. And as we'll see, he's going to have a profound series of conversations that I'm sure they all remembered. Uh, and when we still remember today because it's written in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 14. And in the first... Um, A verse of of Luke 14, it kind of sets this new setting. Before that, Jesus is doing something else. In Luke chapter 14, now he's going to be doing a particular thing. And the whole chapter 14 is going to be kind of in the context of this dinner party. And so it says one Sabbath. That's important, right? One Sabbath. What's a Sabbath if you're Jewish? It's, It's a day of rest, right? It's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. It's a day of rest. And they had a lot of rules about the Sabbath, right? So he's, 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 it's the Sabbath. It gives you that detail. There's a, there's a reason for that. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. So this is one of the leading religious Jewish leaders on the Sabbath. He's, Jesus is at his house. It's a dinner party. And, and it says they were watching him closely. They were watching him closely. So they invited Jesus to this dinner party at one of the leading Pharisee's house on a Sabbath. That would have been normal. That was one of the things that was acceptable to do. Uh, you're going to do some soul care rest on the Sabbath. And it, was, it was, wasn't abnormal to have a feast or a big dinner and do some fellowship because that was a good way to rest from, from the work that you did uh, in, in community. That was important. And it says, while Jesus was there, they were watching him closely. Chapter 14. Then you're going to see uh, that Jesus kind of at this dinner party, uh, the first thing, uh, somebody walks in, a guy walks by from the community, and the guy is handicapped. Uh, it says that his body is swelling, or he has palsy, right? And so he, it's the Sabbath, and this you start to see the picture, right? There's a Sabbath, and this guy who needs healing walks by, and Jesus is now known for healing. Josephus, one of the Jewish historians, said this about Jesus. This is how he described him, that Jesus was a man who performed miracles and claimed to be God. Everyone knew he's claiming to be God. He's doing miracles. Probably why they, when they invite him over, they're watching him closely. Something about this Jesus. This guy walks by. What do you do? So Jesus kind of, whoever was around him at the dinner party, is probably a large kind of community, uppity Dinner party, probably some political conversation going on, probably some business transactions happening. It's kind of normal in that setting. And, and, and this guy walks by, and Jesus just kind of, to the people who could hear him, goes, Hey, you guys, is it lawful on the Sabbath to heal or not? And it says, and they were silent. They didn't know what to say. They had heard about Jesus. Like, I don't want to say anything dumb around Jesus, right? 
Or I've heard about, like, every time you say something, Jesus has a better answer, right? Probably that's a little bit of the the deal going on. And and so Jesus heals them. And then he sends them off. He's healed. And then Jesus said to them another question. He goes, now, if if any of you guys on the Sabbath had uh, your ox fell into a pit, you know, imagine your live tractor, right? Because that's what they used it for. It was like to plow their fields. Your tractor, but it's alive. It falls into a pit. On the Sabbath, what would you do? Right? Obviously, you guys would pull it out, right? You have no problem with that for an animal. But how much more should this guy be important to us? So on, even on the Sabbath, we can heal him, right? And then Jesus starts to notice how people kind of sit themselves. This part is uppity party. He's like, and he, and he says something about it. He goes, um, when you guys come in here, one thing I notice is like everybody tries to sit in the, in, in the, in the most prestigious chair possible, Right? Like, the seating arrangement was a big deal. They had, like, the, you know, the number one table, like, at a wedding, right? Like, where you get put, right, at the wedding. If you get at table 13, like, I got put at Brittany's wedding, right? Like, that's, 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 that's not honorable, right? And everyone knows it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, but he's, like, like there's no seating chart, and everybody's, like, trying to sit in the most important seat. And he goes, how about, why don't you try this for a change? Why don't you guys, when you come in, sit in the lowest seat, and then they might come over and go, hey, but why don't you, why don't you move up a little bit? Otherwise, you go to this party, you sit in the wrong seat, and somebody more important to you might come in and go, hey, it's my seat, right? And then you're not going to be able, then now you're shamed. He's like, why don't we live like that? So these people are, like, they were watching him closely, and now they're, like, really watching him closely and listening to him closely. It's like, who is this guy, right? And then he tells another story, right? He says to, he goes to the guy who, who's throwing this dinner party and he goes, hey, I notice everybody here is rich, right? I notice everybody here is like the, the who's who's uh, at this party. Um, probably like even the guy that was needed to get healed, he's probably like some who's who's cousin, right? And we let him in here. Uh, but... Uh, when you when next time you throw a party, why don't you start throwing like don't don't just invite your friends and 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 important people and the rich people. Don't just invite them, but go out and invite poor people. Invite people who 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 can never pay you back. Because there's there's a couple things going on in this society, and the one is that it's an honor shame society. And so when when you're honored publicly, um, it actually kind of gave you more status. Which could mean like you get invited to better parties if you have more honor in the society. You get invited to better parties later. You kind of move up the status. And even in business it helps. Like if I'm going to do business with people, I'm going to do business with people who, who have the best honor. Because it's honorable to do business with people who have honor. And then I can have more honor. And, and, it, and it led to the idea of shame. If you're ashamed in, in public, like that could, you could, that, it costs you a lot in this society. It's honor shame society and then they have this idea of called reciprocity which is basically like you scratch my back and i'll scratch yours and so jesus is confronting all of these things like the honor shame like don't don't sit in the seat that you want wait let someone else lift you up why are you guys always trying to lift yourself up let someone else lift you up and reciprocity why don't you invite someone who can't pay you back rather than throw a party because of what it will do for you why don't you throw a party because you love people right so like it got awkward and so this one Pharisee, uh, he's probably like the peacemaker. Um, he kind of tries to break the tension, and that's going to be the story that we start today, right? In Luke 14, 
Uh, all this has already happened, and this guy says, When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, he said to Jesus and everyone else around, he goes, Well, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? Like tension breaker. Like, let's talk about something we all do agree on, because the Jewish people read the Torah, and they believed from the Torah that, that one day a Messiah was going to come, and he was going to restore the kingdom on, on heaven and earth, and that in that time, uh, he was going to make all things new. And when he did that, it was going to get launched off with a huge banquet, a heavenly banquet. And so he, he's talking about that. He goes, yeah, but we're talking about, like, it's getting kind of awkward in here. He goes, hey, uh, let's talk about something else. Uh, 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 blessed is the one who will eat in the kingdom of God. How many of you guys think that, that, that quieted Jesus? That did not quiet Jesus. He goes, then Jesus told him... Uh, another story. This is our story today. He goes, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. So it's normal, right? Like uh, in that time, you'd live in small towns, a lot of uh, farming areas, and, and there's a lot of just different status. And, and so if you were going to throw a party, you would send out one invite, like, hey, we're throwing a party. People would RSVP, and then you would prepare everything that you needed to prepare. The town would start smelling of great meats and all the, you know, ever, ever cook bacon in the, in the kitchen? And you're just like, mmm, bacon. Well, they weren't doing that because they were Jewish, but something kind of like that. And, and so this is kind of happening. And then when everything is ready, you would send out another call, and you'd be like, the party's ready. And then people would start to come, and this, and this, and this big deal party would happen. So Jesus is kind of talking their language. He's like, uh, so that all that happened, a man was given a large banquet, many were invited, but then at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell them who were invited, come because everything's now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I, I bought a field and I must go out to see it. Uh, I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, uh, that's ten oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Uh, I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master, and in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city, and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Like an interesting story, right? What's the most interesting story you ever heard at a dinner party? If you had been there, this would be it. And this parable, what's it about? At the heart of this parable, it's pretty simple. This parable is about how we value God and how we value people. Does that sound familiar in the scriptures, right? Like they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And love people, love your neighbor, right? And so this is a, a parable at the heart of, of taking this 
commandment and then spreading it out on a real life scenario that you would do all day. It's like applying it to life. Jesus is applying the greatest commandment to life as a mirror, and he's showing them that at this party, we're not living up to the greatest commandment. And they'd already said, like, we know what the greatest commandment is, but it's just like, well, we, but are you applying it to your life? So it's about how we value God and how we value people. And, and some thoughts that we're going to look at today is this, that might, how we apply this to our life is this, is it asks the question, where do you desire to be? Where do you desire to be? Now, like if, 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 if I said, you can live anywhere you want, you can live anywhere you want, like where would you pick? Right? Maybe I'd pick, you know, this, this, based on what? Right? By, is it location? Is it the people that are with? Right? And he's like, where do you desire to be? Where do you desire to to live. And, and if your answer is Jesus, like we might know the right answer, right? Oh, wherever Jesus is, right? Because we, we've been in Sunday school, we know Moses and Jesus are always the right answer, right? But if Jesus is your answer, that's the right answer, th- then this requires that this, that we need to respond with no excuses, right? Like it's RSP, RSVP required, but not only RSVP, we say, we say we're going to go, but then when the, when, the, when, the, when the time comes and you're called, you go. That's what's going on here. So we're responding with no excuses. And then there's this attitude that Jesus has called no neighbor gets left behind. No neighbor gets left behind. So we're going to look at those three things today and in the story. And the first one is this, is where do you desire to be? Where do you desire, in life, where, what's your greatest desire as, a, as, as where you want to be? Right, so Jesus is at a party of a Pharisee, a well-known Pharisee's house, on a Sabbath, and a man who's handicapped comes in, and Jesus heals him. And what this reveals is a sort of religious elitism. Religious elitism, right? And almost like the rules that this, in this society, the rules are more important than people are, uh, and that's not okay. Um, and I think Jesus could have taken it a lot further when, this, when he heals this Guy goes, is that okay to heal on the Sabbath? And then he goes, well, which of you guys who have, a, have an ox that falls in the, in, the, in the pit wouldn't do that? Well, what if he said this? You guys are all up in arms. I know internally you're struggling with the fact that I just healed this guy on the Sabbath at this party, right? Like, who, who's messing up the party with, by, with, with the healing this guy, right? Like, it's not about you, Jesus, right? Like, type thing. That's the kind of attitude they have. And yet he's like, well, what if it was you? What if you were the one that came to the party and needed healing? Would you want me to heal you? Oh, probably, right? What if he was your kid? And yet there's a stranger that you don't really have any ties and emotional weight to, and it bothers you. Like, that should, that's saying something. That's what Jesus is. It's a religious elitism. I think I'm better than that person. That person can wait till tomorrow. I wouldn't want to wait till tomorrow, right? But that person can't because he's lower on the, on the, on the totem pole than me. So this isn't about the Sabbath anymore. This is about selfishness. That's what Jesus is showing them, and, a, and religious elitism. And then, we, then he tells this story uh, about choosing honor, right? Like if you, you walk in here and you, you pick the, the seat that you think is going to escalate you the most socially and give you more, more honor, and yet why didn't you just pick the worst seat and then let someone else do that for you, right? Why do you pick, pick that one? He goes, what if, what if someone more important than you comes 
Now you have to scoot back down, and then you'll be, pub- then you'll be really shamed, right? Like you thought you were more important than you are, and someone said, no, nah, you're not that important. You'd be shamed. And this is, this is really uh, affecting this, this idea in the society of honor-shame like we talked about. Like they, they, they cared a lot about what people thought about them. That's really what it comes down to, right? They were really, really worried about what other people thought about them. I know none of us would ever struggle with that. We don't have an honor-shame society, right? Of course we do, right? So, but, and this would affect your privilege. Like, if, if, you lost, if you lost honor, you would lose privilege, and that means you lose authority, you lose influence, you lose power, you lose business, you lose in the society. It costs you. It costs you something. And then he says, when you have a banquet, don't just invite your friends who will, in turn, invite you to theirs. Invite the poor who can't give you anything in return. This idea of reciprocity. And so most people through parties, you have to understand this, most people through these types of parties for advantage, for what they could get out of it. That's the type of party that Jesus is at. It's a, it's a party that you use as a platform for, for your escalating whatever you want. And then this guy goes, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the man who will eat Bread in the kingdom of God. And like we said, there's this common understanding already that one day the Messiah will come back. He'll restore all things. He'll make all things new. And there's going to be this great banquet. Which as New Testament believers, of course, we still believe. We just realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. That Jesus is the Messiah that came one time. Gave us an invite. You guys starting to see the picture? He gave us an invite Many people are like, yeah, okay, I'm in. I want to go to heaven. But when the party's ready, and he's going to be like, okay, party's ready. Oh, wait, I'm pretty busy, right? That's the idea and the tension of the story. So, so we believe that, they believe that, but they believe that based on passages like in Psalm 22, 26. The humble, listen, listen to all these words. The humble will eat and be satisfied those who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. So this is talking about the living forever. This is talking about end times. May the humble eat. He's talking about this great feast that was going to happen when, when, when the end times begin. When, when, when the Messiah comes, we'll have this party. And then in Isaiah 25, 6, on this mountain, remember, remember they got the law on a mountain, right? So they thought the law comes on the mountain and now also on this mountain, something, the next big thing is going to happen when, when the Messiah comes back. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of age, with aged wine, prime cuts, and choice meat, fine vintage wine. But so the, the common attitude is that this is all going to happen, but this is going to happen for the elite Jewish, good Jewish, good standing Jewish Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Basically, the, everyone at this party is like, this is for us, not for them. There's a this, there's a us versus them kind of deal here. Uh, and perhaps what they're missing, and what Jesus is trying to point out is this, uh, they're missing the emphasis on humility. But they shouldn't have. It's in the verses. You guys heard those, right? The, the humble one. They're missing the humility that's also found in the Torah and, and, and they're, they're replacing it with an attitude of entitlement. We're the good ones. We deserve 
to go to that feast. We deserve to be at this party. We deserve the best seat at the house. We, 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 we deserve, and they're lacking some humility. They're not emphasizing verses like what David said in Psalm 84.10, says, better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. So I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked people. Now you have to understand what he's saying. We're going to have this big banquet party. Everybody's trying to find the seat that is the best seat. Who wants to stand at the door and greet people? And probably wash their feet as they come in. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Can I get you anything, sir? I would rather be that guy, the door holder in the house of God than anywhere else. That's what David's saying. The threshold is the guy serving the lowest. It's the lowest guy at the party. Why do you think when they had, uh, when they had uh, the disciples eat the, the, the last meal, the last supper with Jesus, and they all walk in, it, at a normal Seder dinner, you would, you, the, the host would wash your feet or give you the opportunity to wash yourself, but they all walked in like this, like, who's going to take that job? Not me, right? And so sometime later on in the party, Jesus goes over and grabs the bowl and goes, I, I noticed none of you guys wanted to be the door holder. I'll be the door holder, right? I'll wash your feet. But don't do that anymore. Let's, you guys be the feet washers. You guys be the door holders. I would rather be the feet washer, the door holder in God's house than anywhere else. Can you imagine that? Where do you want to be? Because you know what they're worried about? They're worried about this. Who do I want to be? Who am I? Who do I want to be? And he's like, what about whose do you want to be? What about whose house? I mean, I'm just happy to be at the party, right? I would have to be, the doorkeeper's the lowest, the, the least seat, because you don't even get a seat. I'd rather have that than anywhere else. I'd rather have the doorkeeper in God's house than, than the best seat at this party, right? That's the idea that we have here. I remember hearing this true story, it happened about 20 years ago, uh, and it's, it's pretty it's pretty profound that the, this, this mission group team, half of them were like, were, they had roots from China and they had a, they had a heart for China. China's closed. Um, you can't just give out Bibles there. And so oftentimes, you've probably heard of this, people actually smuggle Bibles into China. Well, this, this team smuggled Bibles into China. They were in a short-term mission, was, which meant like, I think they were there for three months. So it's kind of long for us, but it's pretty short. And they were smuggling Bibles into China. And they got caught. And they got put in prison, and there was 21 of them. And in this prison, what they basically did was they, they had these coffins, these wood crates that you would only be able to lay down on, and they stacked them. Seven stacks, three high. They still remembered this. And, and then once, once or twice a day, they would come. It was hot. They were in there. And they would, they would take a forklift and shuffle them around and then just pick one of them, and they would, they would torture them. And everyone else could hear it, but they couldn't see it. It was like this psychological war, you know, torture, physical torture, all these things for smuggling Bibles. Uh, and that's a horrible story. And they were there for a month, and then they got rescued. And when they came back, obviously a lot of attention was on them, and they were, they were sharing their story. Well, somebody interceded a letter that one of the 21 wrote to the other 20. 
was just a letter, basically. And in the letter, it said, I'm writing you this letter because you're the only ones that might understand. It said, no, everyone else would think I was crazy, but I'm not crazy, am I? And he said, do you ever wish just for a moment to be back in the presence of God amongst us 21 in those crates? What's this guy talking about, right? You can't fathom that. But what he's saying is that somehow God's presence was with them in the worst of circumstances. And somehow his memory of this was it was so wonderful that he would rather be back in that crate experiencing that beautiful fellowship with God than anywhere else. Maybe you guys would understand. Maybe. What? Where? Matters. Where do you want to be? This is a deep heart issue that God is really bringing up with these people. What? What is better than than being His? What is better than being in His presence? What could you be blessed with more than what He's offering in this invite of relationship and fellowship with Him? And do we have an attitude? I'd just rather be the door holder in the house of God, in the presence of God, than anywhere else. It's profound, amen? And then the second piece of this is that this, this is... This is a story where he, he really just tells us that responding with no excuses, right? How could there be any excuses? If God is inviting you into the presence of God, and, and that's the best place in the world, then whenever we make excuses, no, like, I'm busy doing this, what are we saying? We're saying, I value this as more important than this, right? So when we respond with excuses, it really is just showing us how we really value God, the presence of God. And so the excuses in this story were, one, they were without exception. It was three examples, but it says one by one, everybody who was invited, without exception, all began to make excuses. And it wasn't just the first response that, that it's talking about. At first they responded, yes. We'll come. When it's like, okay, that's going to be later. Yeah, we'll come later. But when they were called to take action and be faithful, they all made excuses. You guys were with me, right? So it's not just a one-time response. It's, it's also about the follow-through that your heart does day to day and, 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 and when, when God calls. And, and the second thing is, so the, without exception, the second thing, those excuses were obviously lame and insulting. Right? And so there's a couple of possible interpretations. Possibly Jesus is telling this story, and it ties in with Deuteronomy 20, uh, verses 5 through 7, which says this. It says, the officers are to address the army. So what we're saying is, like, we're going to go to war. We collect all the people. We do kind of like a recruitment. All the, all the people who are going to fight come, and now they're being addressed by the leader, right? It says, when, when that happens, um, here's what you want to do. Uh, uh, he says, when the officers are to address the army, they say, has any man built a new house and not dedicated it? 
Uh, Let him leave and return home. Otherwise, he may die in battle and another may dedicate it. That wouldn't be good, right? Has any man planted a vineyard? Right? Anybody? Raise your hand if you planted a vineyard. And not begun to enjoy its fruit. Okay, you you could go home. um, Otherwise, you might die in battle and another man may enjoy its fruit. All right? Has any man become engaged to a woman and not married her yet? Well, let him leave and return. Otherwise, he may die in battle and another may marry her. So maybe Jesus is alluding to this because the idea is like those would be legitimate excuses because, you know, you don't want to die in battle and not be able to enjoy those things. What's the problem here? It's a wedding, not battle. No one's dying at the wedding. These excuses stink, right? Everyone has uh, excuses like armpits. Everyone has two of them and they all stink, right? That's what's going on here. So, so, so those are, even if it was alluding to, do, I think Jesus is maybe using a little hyperbole, like, let's look at this passage in Deuteronomy and show you how you're trying to use that to justify it with these three things that are in there, but you're, you're using it wrong. You're applying it wrong. Uh, possibly there's some hyperbole, right? Like a, 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 some almost sarcasm or, or over-exaggerating to make a point in a story called hyperbole, right? To show that the excuses are ridiculously bad. Like, to somebody who is Jewish and heard this story, they would be like this. Who would buy a house before seeing it first? Right? Who would buy land before checking it out first on Zulu or whatever, right? Who, who would buy oxen? Who would buy five yoke of oxen, ten that work together as a team? Who would do that without trying them out first? You're going to test drive the car before you buy it, right? Who would do that? Who in a small town would throw a huge party right in the, in, the, in the time when someone else was having a wedding? It wouldn't happen. These excuses are obviously lame and, and, and not acceptable and, and insulting. And perhaps a general application is this, uh, to help us make a dramatic pause as we hear the story and ask this. Are we too caught up in the things of the world to see the surpassing value of Christ and put that first and say yes to that first. That's what it says to us. It's what it should have said to them. And so what excuses do we find for not centering our lives around loving God and loving others? That's what this is about. How many of you guys have ever heard of fool's gold? Right? Like, so fool's gold is this interesting kind of, kind of thing. It's actually made out of iron sulfate, right? And it, and it, and it glimmers when it's in the water. Back in the time with the, the, the California gold rush, this, this tricked a lot of people. Um, but the idea of gold, a fool's gold, is people would literally see a little bit of fool's gold, like try to kind of hide it when they're in, the, in that time. And then they would buy that whole plot. They'd give all their money. I'm going to buy this whole plot. Why? Because guaranteed, there's gold. I mean, you'd be an idiot to not. And then they go and they find out it's fool's gold. And now they're broke. What is it in this world that has got us deceived because fool's gold? Anything that we treasure more than Christ is fool's gold. That's kind of the idea of this. How many of you guys have ever heard of a monkey trap? Monkey trap. You guys need to start Googling more. (laughs) 
Here's how a monkey trap, it's super interesting, okay? So a monkey trap is basically this little cage, you can see into it, and they design it very specifically where the monkey can put his hand in like this, and they put a banana in there, or something that the monkey wants. He puts his hand in this little hole like this, and he grabs onto the monkey. But the hole is small to where he can't get his fist out, right? And he watches, right? Like, put it in there, he grabbed the banana, and you're like, silly monkey, let's let go of the banana, Right? I think what, but Jesus is, uh, is like, but well, what are you in this world grabbing onto and you're not willing to let go of it and it has you trapped? Silly monkey, right? And then lastly, it's about valuing Jesus, yes, and it also is about valuing your neighbor, loving your neighbor. And so Jesus displays in here, like he does so many times, that Jesus has a no-neighbor-left-behind attitude. A no-neighbor-left-behind attitude. In this story, the host of this, of, this, of this party, he rejects the social constraints. In Jesus' story, the host at the end rejects the social constraints, the, the honor-shame, the reciprocity, the what will people think if, 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 if nobody shows up to my party? All the who's who's don't show up at my party and all the, the nobodies show up at my party. What will people think? He doesn't care about any of that. He says there's plenty of food. Go out and invite the people that no one else would invite. Oh, we already did that. Well, then go out and invite the people that no one invite, would invite. Invite the people that even they wouldn't invite. And, and they invite everybody in because what's his heart? That my house be full. My heart is that my house be full. He's not doing it for reciprocity because there's nothing that these people could, could, could do to deserve to go to this party. And you start to see the picture that he's talking about God's work on this earth, God's redemptive work on this earth. God's calling us, preparing a place. He's not going to come back and go like, okay, who deserves, who's been real good, right? Who's been real good? Who's followed all the social rules? He's not going to do that. He's going to be like, who realizes they're not good enough? Who realizes that the only way you get to go to this party is because I'm saying come? And they're going to come. Who's, who's going to realize that God has a no neighbor left behind, right? Policy. It's interesting, there's a, there's a famous uh, Jewish story in the Talmud where a tax collector, back in Jesus' day, the story is about, this tax collector, uh, he, he was shameful in the society. He took advantage of the people. He had a really bad reputation as being shady, right? You ever met someone who's shady? That's his guy, right? He's like, nobody, when he walks down the street, everyone like locks their windows and, and all, they pretend like they're not home. This guy was shady, and he threw a big party to try to get, get friends, and nobody showed up. He, was, he prepared this whole meal, this sort of story that's, that the Jewish people would have taught. No one shows up at his party because they wanted to teach him a lesson, that, hey, you, you're, you're shady. And so he, what he does is he invites all the poor people from the town that, that, that didn't have enough food, that nobody else would invite. He invites them all, and he throws this big party, and they all come. And, and in the Talmud, it says that, that when he had his eulogy, that's the only story they told about him. That's the only story they told about him. 
And what that shows us, it shows us that the Jewish people understood that there was a value, it was valued to invite the poor to your party who had nothing to deserve. And yet what it also reflects is that these people knew that that was cool. Jesus was not teaching something completely new. He was teaching something that they already had another story that that they valued and they put in their book of important stuff. And he's like, but what they're missing is, they're missing the power of society and how it can impact us like cancer and cause us to walk away from the values that we know are true. We're putting honor, shame, and recipe. We're following those rules instead of just following Jesus. That's what's going on in this story. They knew better, but they weren't doing it. And so Jesus flips things upside down. We'll have the worship team come back up. Jesus flips things upside down uh, and says this, that God invites us not because uh, of reciprocity, not because we can do anything for him, But God invites us because he loves us. God invites us because he loves us. And the only requirement to come to him is to to recognize that you have nothing to offer and what he is offering is better than anything else and responding yes to what he is offering, which is to come to him through himself who died on the cross. And then once you're adopted into the family through this, for, through this uh, 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 work of Jesus on the cross, he, he, he pays for your penalty, he, he offers you uh, entrance into his family through adoption. And once you're adopted into this family that you recognize you now have nothing to prove. Honor and shame, society no longer have a grip on you like a banana What other people think of you no longer has a grip on you like the banana. Why? Because what he thinks of you is all that matters. You no longer have anything to prove. So you no longer are acting, trying to gain people's approval. You're acting because you've already have his approval. Now you're free to act by loving him, by loving others. Don't worry about what people think. If that guy comes to your party, invite him. Everyone's invited to the party. To those whom uh, have been, whose society has shamed, come. To those who have nothing to give, come. To those who are unworthy and undeserving, you're the ones who are invited to come. And so Jesus has this no neighbor left behind heart. And in this season, meaning in the, in the year to come, I want to talk about this more. I want to introduce something to you today that's not going to go away. No neighbor left behind. That God has a no neighbor left behind attitude. What would it look like? That's the question I'm asking. That's the question I'm presenting to us this morning. What would it look like for us to be a church that had a no-neighbor-left-behind attitude. And we're on a good beginning, right? I mean, we, we have no neighbor left behind. We were asked to, to just bring some jelly, right? And we brought jelly, right? Because we're going to give those to people. Why? Because no neighbor left behind. 
And, then, and a neighbor had a fire, right? And, and we came up and we said, hey, what can we do to respond? And we said, no neighbor left behind. Let's do it. We don't even know who they are. I don't even know their name. I've never even seen their face. We, I probably saw them this week, right? But I didn't even know they, I saw them because I never met them before. And yet, and yet we got to love them because no neighbor left behind. And This August, we're going to have the sheriffs in our, in our, our, our city are going to uh, collect a bunch of stuff to put in backpacks to give to kids in our city that don't have the stuff that other kids have. They don't have the privilege. They don't have the money. And we want to give them those things because we want them to, we want them to feel loved. We want them to feel like proud of going to school. We want them to feel good about it, right? And so, so how can we do that? Well, here's what we get to do. No neighbor left behind. We're, we're going to collect those things and we're going to give them to the sheriff. Guess who's going to get the credit? The sheriff's department is going to get the credit. We don't need the credit. Why? It's no neighbor left behind. And by the way, we're looking for someone to lead that charge. And God's stirring on your heart. We need a new leader that hasn't done anything so far here, that isn't super involved. God's stirring on your heart right now. I know he is. You're going to go talk to Ian and Jessica and just say, hey, I think I'm the guy or I think I'm the girl. And maybe three of you do. And it's like, oh, it's a team, right? Cool, right? But that's what we're going to be talking about. What will it look like to have a no neighbor left behind attitude because that's what jesus teaches us in this story that his his kingdom is surpasses anything that we could get in this earth and we get to be doorkeepers in the kingdom of god guess what the doorkeeper gets to do he gets to wash feet guess what else he gets to do he gets to see every person who shows up to the party and give him a high five thank you for listening to remembrance community church podcast You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.